Hey y'all, welcome to episode two of Pop Junction. Just a quick reminder for those of you who are joining us a little late in the game. Mia's audio fucked up for the first two episodes, so we had to kind of Frankenstein it. And her audio is still perfectly audible. The quality is just not quite as good as mine. So we had a snafu. It will be fixed for episode three onward. We decided not to re-record this one because we felt the conversation was too good to recreate. This is episode two, where we talk about the seminal Halloween coming-of-age classic Teen Witch from 1989. And we answer such important questions as... Was Lisa Frank a consulting producer on Teen Witch? You'll have to listen to find out. This is Pop Junction. Happy Halloween! The other thing that I discovered from our first episode is that my laugh... I have what is called um, Pete Holmes syndrome. So he's a comedian who has a podcast that I love. Um, But he... What he and I have in common is that we laugh too loud into the microphone. So he mutes himself whenever he laughs. (laughs) Or he will like intentionally like pull way away from the microphone whenever he uh, bursts into maniacal laughter, as I am wont to do as well. So uh, welcome to Pop Junction. We are your hosts, Caitlin Graham and Mia Howard. Does it matter that I have no recording? I need to record again. I have to stop because of the thingy. All right. <laughs> we'll do. We'll we'll start again. We'll start again. Okay, let me just make sure it's recording without that sound. Okay. okay we're- oh my god. Um, listeners, we just came up with the title for our podcast, and if it changes next week, sorry. <laughs> but for now. Welcome to Pop Junction. It sounds good. It feels good. It feels organic. It feels right. How do you feel about it? I love it. Um, for me, it also um, reminds me of high school because our gathering place was the junction. Um, and here we are. Yeah. An intersection of pop culture, nostalgia, what it meant to grow up in South Brooklyn. Adolescence. All that stuff. Um, And fun fact, uh, there is already a podcast called The Junction, um, a Brooklyn-based podcast, so we could not be called The Junction. But that's okay, because I think Pop Junction is more apropos, as it were. Um, So it's October, and the world is still on fire, as we were discussing last week, but Halloween is on the horizon Um, so this week we are going to be talking about the Halloween season classic and the classic of our lives. Teen Witch, 1989. The year was 1989. And this movie, uh, could not get more 1989 than it is. Would you agree with that? I would. It's interesting though, because it's not a movie I watched in 1989. Me neither. When did you watch it? I probably started watching it on Channel 11. Yes. Like, early 90s. Yes. Sunday afternoon? Yeah, like, Sunday afternoon. Probably, like, you know, fourth, fifth grade. I the first time I saw it. Yes. Um, and then it was a forever favorite, you know? Ugh, forever fave. 
Forever fave. Same. Um, I think I probably discovered it around sixth grade, something like that. Um, so I feel like when we talk about the experiences that we connect with this, this piece of formative pop culture, for us, I feel like, I feel like it's appropriate to talk about when we came to it, not necessarily like the year that it came out today. How do you feel about that? Okay, because I feel like (laughs) so we were born in 83. So if we were to talk about the year that it was released 1989, we were both six years old, Um, which we could do. We could talk about that. But I don't know. I feel like it, it makes more sense to talk about when we like the thrust of when our obsession for this movie started. Right. So for me, I just have to say, (laughs) um, when I discovered it, like around sixth grade, what was that? Like 94, 95, 94, 95, something like that. God, listeners, like listeners of a certain age, I can't even begin to describe how much of a challenge it was for someone who was so into movies, TV, etc. Just digging up things like the days before YouTube were it was it was like a fucking scavenger hunt, like trying to find, you know, like clips from things um you know some some tv shows you had on vhs and stuff like that and even finding those was sort of um it was like finding a needle in a haystack but i remember with this movie the thing that i wanted the most to be able to like have from this movie was the music and i couldn't find like a soundtrack or anything anywhere and i have always up until this day i have been under the impression that um so the the movie okay for those of you who've never seen it how do we synopsize this movie is that a word synopsize summarize summarize um <laughs> i'm all over the place today. uh suburban teenager mm-hmm. awkward look at quote awkward quote awkward <laughs> Um, you know, culture, friendships, dear, has a very annoying little brother. <laughs> oh my God, we got to talk about the little brother. The little brother, but she has big dreams. <laughs> Her dream is to be seen. You know, we all... Yes! We can't, we can't all relate, but I can relate. Caitlin was very much seen. We could have a whole conversation about our different experiences K-12, but... Oh my God. I was not seen. I was very much a wallflower. That might be a slight exaggeration, to be honest. But, like, I was definitely awkward, like, in all the ways. And I'd like to think I grew up of that a little bit by high school, but I very much empathize with Louise, who, you know, had nerdy friends and wore, like, out-of-trend clothing and just was, like, kind of dowdy. Um, But then... Uh, on her 16th birthday, she taps into a new side of herself, her magical powers. Mm-hmm. That she is a witch. Yeah, she stumbles upon a um, a psychic, right? Yeah, yeah, Madame Serena, played by the fucking iconic Zelda Rubinstein of Poltergeist fame. Fucking iconic! I love that lady. Poltergeist infamy, like that. She actually was a triggering. <laughs> 
aspects of this film for me. It's like, you can't go from seeing her in Poltergeist to being like, cool. Right. She's my bestie. She's my mentor. <laughs> um, but Louise and her meet, and she's all about helping Louise tap into her powers kind of organically. Like, she doesn't want to, like, give her the playbook to being a witch. And, like, you kind of have to, like, figure out this witch thing for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, any, like, many a busy... Busy opinion about this, but um, <laughs> like many a teenager, a lot of her wishes center on being popular, getting the most popular boy in school. I like boys. I like boys. And so, so we follow her through this journey of you know making wishes around being the most popular girl, getting the most popular boy, and I'm sure there's some like moral in there about. Mm-hmm. Supposed to value the like, oh, yeah, the authentic, the authentic, authentic, sorry, authentic person we are, and like, you know, your own individuality being the most important thing, blah blah mm-hmm. blah, whatever. <laughs> Two things, yada yada yada, is hot, okay? So, like, Dan Gautier, yes, and who hasn't uh, aged in like 40 years, p.s. Who also had like apparently like a very long career in soap opera. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <gasps> he been restless or something for a very long time. That makes sense. He has soap opera face. I could buy that. Totally. And um, against this story, against the, the, in the backdrop of this story, is some of the most iconic late '80s, early '90s music. Oh. The music, which to get this point, it's a tragedy. It was so for so long, it was unavailable. Like who? Right. These gems, these musical gems. My fucking God, like the opening song, Never Gonna Be the Same Again? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, what? Hold on. I gotta, I gotta cue this up. So, God, so much to talk about. But this song, like, I would rewind this opening sequence. So the film opens with Louise. So she's in love with Brad, aka Dan Gautier, the popular guy at school. Quarterback? Question mark? Of the football team, I assume. I assume. Question mark uh, quarterback. But um, she has this fantasy dream sequence where she's very glamorous and in a body, a body con uh, dress, you know, and there's like, I don't know, it looks kind of like a 90s era softcore porn kind of situation, like a Red Shoe Diaries kind of situation. Just aesthetically, I mean, there's no nudity or anything like that. It's very tame. It's very Disney. It's very, like, adolescence and everything. It's appropriate. It's family appropriate. Remind me, after you're saying this, to talk about the barn sequence. (laughs) The barn sequence or the abandoned house sequence? Which one? Oh, okay. There's, God, there's so many things to talk about. I don't know how we're going to get through this. Abandoned house, barn, situation i'm making notes so you said like red, red shoe diaries i was like yes that's exactly no it is so red shoe diaries it is like all right we're queuing this song up here it goes come on come on youtubes oh. see this is red shoe diaries e it really is First of all, the the vocals have not even come in. 
This is already a banger and a half. Sing! God, I'm feeling all the adolescent longing. Ah, you know what it is? It's like so. I feel like oh god, I fucking love that song. Um, I feel like this movie encapsulates female adolescent longing and like the female adolescent idea of like what sex and intimacy will ultimately be. That's how I feel about it, and that's kind of how I feel about that opening sequence and also the abandoned house sequence. Right? Just watching them, like, walk through the abandoned house, <laughs> look in their eyes of, like, longing and, like, just also just kind of, like, it's, like, longing, but it's also just, like, um, I don't know, like, whimsy. It's, like, it's, like, they're, like, just whimsy. They have this, like, look in their eye, like, when I meet this person or I find this person in this house, like, all of my dreams are going to come true. Mm-hmm. It's going to fill the void. Looking off in the distance, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, if you just look at that whole scenario on paper, because they're not even, they're not even really dating at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of into each other. And then he says, you know, like, he doesn't say anything. I feel like he just takes her to this abandoned house. Like it's with the idea that it's going to be romantic. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. What? It could have been creepy as fuck. It's like in the middle of a bunch of like overgrown weeds and like it's a house that was abandoned like mid-reno. Like it's just really could have been like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of situation. But what saves it from that is that's a really sunny day and so there's just lots of That's true. That's true. Breaking their cheekbones and whatnot. (laughs) Um, The thing that I remember, the two things that I remember just like viscerally from that scene is that so he takes her into this house and they look at each other. He like they've they're like they're undressing like as they're going moving further and further into the house like they both take their shoes off and the camera like lingers on their shoes and then like he takes his overshirt off and he like has it you know slung over his shoulder like a fucking JC Penny model and like they just stare at each other and then they walk closer and closer and closer and then they start making out. But for, and then there's this very long close up on them of them making out. And the kisses look real good, by the way. And there's tongue. I remember that. I remember feeling that like in my loins as a child. And <laughs> I also remember how fly her ring was. She has this silver. It's just like a little um, ribbon, like a like a bow ribbon, kind of. It's really cute. And I just remember wanting that ring and wanting to make out in an abandoned house. What I just realized, and honestly, the scene is so well done. It really could have been up for some awards. <laughs> but like, it really is like the... If you think about when you read, not that we read these, but Harlequin romance novels. Yes. Think about the way that they set the scene, yes. you know, as the two star-crossed lovers like find each other or whatever. It, that whole sequence is literally like what is in the female line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I that to life. 
Yeah. It's female desire. It's the female gaze. That movie, Teen Witch is the female gaze. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Obviously, because uh, Louise is a bit of a pariah, shall we say, at her school, there are, you know, some female bullies, the popular girls, Randa, Kiki, and the third one whose name escapes me. I can't remember the third one. They're like the original Mean Girls. They are, exactly. Um, and P.S., like this, there's kind of like a subgenre. I actually used to teach in my film class. <laughs> I used to teach uh, seniors in high school film and media studies, and I used to show Mean Girls, and then I would show clips from this movie, and I would show clips from Clueless. And there are a lot of like, there's like connective tissue between these three movies. And there are, there's like a whole subgenre of teen movie and Heather's Heather's too. Exactly. Exactly. There's sort of like, there's a teenage girl, the protagonist who's a pariah. And then she gets taken under the wing by the popular girls. And then she turns into a monster through her vanity. Like that's sort of the, you know, that is like the thing. That is the thing. Yep. And now you can't unsee it. Oh, that's Ty. Mm-hmm. That's Ty. She turns into a monster. And Cher literally says in her voiceover, she says, I've created some sort of monster. Um, and that's Katie in uh, in Mean Girls. And they're all redheads. And I don't know when the, when the writer's character's name in Heather. Is she also a... Veronica? Veronica, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Also gay origins, but... Um, because that movie is dark. <laughs> that movie, it is dark. It's dark as fuck. I love my dead gay son. Like, damn. Movie's really dark. We should definitely do that. We should do like a trio of clueless mean girls. Not mean girls. Yeah, we can come back to it. Um, but yeah, so the tree, the, tri- the trifecta of popular girls. Um, Kiki's really cute, by the way. I remember having, like, kind of a gay crush on Kiki as a child. She's a brunette, kind of short. Um, And Randa, who's, like, the queen bee, the blonde, of course, like, super basic and just not interesting to me at all. (laughs) Um, I became really curious about her um, when I was thinking, when I was preparing for this episode. And I was like, what is, what's... What happened to that actress? Like, I wonder, like, if, the, if like, she has, has she done much since then? The answer is no. However, Randa and Brad, the actors who play Randa and Brad in Teen Witch in 1989, got married in the year 1990 and have been married since then. That's like the equivalent of, like, the quarterback marrying the homecoming queen. Literally. Just, like, it's. I wonder how Robin, I honestly wonder how Robin Lively feels about that. I know. I wonder if she had a crushy crush on Dan Gautier, you know, they're fucking married. And it's interesting because they try to paint this whole picture. Like she's, you know, this like kind of like they did with she's all that where they like, you know, make Rachel look like, yeah, she's nerdy. She's not attractive. I'm putting quotes around this. Let's put her hair back and throw some glasses on her. Right. Like, you know, you think about, like, in the, in the mid to late 80s, like, the redhead protagonist was, like, the thing, right? You're Robin Lively and Molly Ringwald. I mean, like... Yeah. Kind of, like, forced this, like, image of, like, her being 
unattractive. And it's like, Robin Lively is gorgeous. Like, what are we talking about? Her hair is amazing. Like, let's stop the lies. Let's stop the lies. Her hair is so amazing, especially after she does the popular girl spell. And she comes down the stairs with like the fringe denim skirt situation. And like she got her hair is like all crimpy. Oh, no. The crimpy situation is when she tries to look good, like for that dance. I'm mistaking. I'm making a mistake. When she goes with uh, Randa's cousin to the dance. Oh my but her God. hair with the denim outfit is still like. It's still. Oh, it's like. Framing her face. Like, it's very big. On. Very wonderful. Ugh. And then she walks outside and the popular kids drive up. They're like, hey, Louise, why don't you ride with us? And then she goes in the car and drives away from her friend Polly. Polly? I love that we're going to now bring it to Polly. Polly. Yeah. Polly is so important. Polly's um, so important. <laughs> Polly is so important. Um, She's the center of the most iconic part of the movie. Top that. Top that. <laughs> Um, it's one of the most iconic white raps of all time. <laughs> what What would you put in like the top three white raps of all time? I have I have another one. I've got another one. I've got another one queued up. <laughs> white rapper experience. Like I would love to hear what Eminem thinks about top. <laughs> top that. Um. Yeah. I what ice? No, no. Vanilla ice. Yeah. Snow. Joey, yes. Joey Lawrence, <laughs> nothing my love can't fix. Nothing my love can't fix while you, baby. Whoa, I'm positive with this, I tell you. That song is so weird. But if you listen to the rap in that song, okay, it, yeah, it's it's happening. Brace yourself. Nothing my love can't fix, because there's a little rap break in the song. Oh. And it's terrible. <laughs> like, the, the lyrics are bananas All right, I think I've had enough. <laughs> um, that actually reminds me. Okay, so now we so we, we we need to have a separate podcast about white boy rap for R and B start artists, right? Yes. We, we talk about some John B. We got to do some things, but oh, John B. All that came to mind as we were playing that was the right kind of love by Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every time I hear that. Oh, same. Hard same. So hard same um yeah top that but back to top that yeah speaking of people i had crushes on i totally had a big time crush on uh the guy that played rat ret the guy that raps with her he's cute he's real cute he's cute i mean are we gonna play a little top that i mean i feel like we should i may be able to do it from uh from memory I'm king. And they know it. When I snap a fingers, everybody say, I don't even know what the fuck he's saying. Like, I don't. And you're not. But if you want to hang with me, I'll give it one shot. Top that. Top that. 
so good. You can do all that you can, but you will never top that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he gets, he gets the song off to a good start, but then Polly comes in. Two she comes in hot. She comes in real hot. Shouldn't she like she has a hat on and she takes her hat off? Right? Yes. Am I making that up? Yeah. Who would ever really want to go and top that? Such a waste of pretty face, but hanging in your nose face. I wish you would take a look and really stop that, top that. And then she does her little like shoulder situations. Stop that. Now, here's a question. When you saw that as a child, did you think that they were cool? So I thought Rhett was hot. Same. I also thought Rhett was Italian. (laughs) He is. Capaletti. Italian. Capaletti. Um, I thought he was hot in Italian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like stylized that like, you know, I was, I was aware that like what they were doing would not be cool if happening in real life. But, <laughs> you know, so like, I thought it was cool as hell. And I was looking at that, you know. <laughs> and I mean, she got red. She got Rhett that way. She did. If only I could get Rhett that way. Although I will say, like, post-rap, when she, like, goes back to her bike and turns back around and does that little, top that! See? Yeah. You're making a face right now. That's, that's, like, sort of on the level of, like, it's that secondhand embarrassment when, like, a mom tries to be cool. I don't know that you're bringing up Seven seven Heaven right now. I didn't know you watched it. Well enough to like. I didn't think I did. I didn't think I did, but there was one episode that Emily and I were obsessed with, where like the mom like tried to be street or something to like intimidate someone. I don't remember the context, but like it was so embarrassing watching what's her face, Catherine Hardwick. Is that her name, or is that not, that's not her name? Name, <laughs> but we need to come back to something happen as well because okay. both parents in 2020 are Trump supporters, you know. And oh, totally. Full on. The whole family, probably. Well, not like maybe not the kids like as adults, but. Yeah. You know? Oh, my God. How did sell that wholesome storyline hard? Hard. And they almost got me because that theme song is wonderful. Seven, heaven. This is a very musical and unexpectedly musical episode of our podcast. Sure. We did more. I would I would venture to say we have done more singing in this episode than we did for the Janet episode last week. I would venture to say that. Here's an, so there there are a couple of like cringeworthy characters in this film. I would say that there's about three cringeworthy characters, but the top one is probably her English teacher. I disagree. Oh my god! No, not that he's not cringeworthy. I just think her brother's even. Oh, that he takes the top spot. Like that's fair. I just think he's so fucking weird, and the actor's choice of delivery is so unexpected that there's something that I appreciate about that. Like his delivery is so out there. Like who? Where did that come from? Like where did those choices come from? Exactly. It's like hard to watch. It is hard to watch. It's really fucking weird. Distorting your voice. You know. Wait, say it again. 
like the voice distortion. It's so odd. Where did those choices come from? Where did it come from, Rosie? Why don't you tell us? <laughs> it's, it's my little dog. Doesn't he? T- oh yeah, and he turns into a dog at some point. So maybe she's just connecting with that part. <laughs> Louise, get me out of here! Oh, I don't even smell like a dog. It's so weird. <laughs> and then she drops him in the in the tub, and he's better. He turns back into a human. Oh my god! <laughs> when he's reading her diary. And he's like, Brad, the red hot lover, Brad, the great, oh, Brad. <laughs> he's totally gay, right? Like the brother character? I don't know. Soup's gay, soup's weird. Are you saying you think the character was meant to be read as gay at the time? Perhaps. I don't know. The, the lines between actor and character are quite blurred when it comes to the little brother in Teen Witch. <laughs> Oh my god, if he's not acting, what? That's what I, that's what I'm saying. Like the choices are so out there that it has to be like a part of his real life personality. That's how I feel about his performance in that. That's a scary thought, Caitlin. It's dark. It's real. It's real. And that's why it's scary. I'm scared. Yeah. It is a Halloween themed, you know, it's a scary movie. So <laughs> It is scary, but it's that also I feel like that the 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 having special powers part is also part of the fantasy. You know what I mean? It was that was part of did you like sometimes fantasize about having powers as a kid? Because I definitely did. I did not. um... (laughs) I feel so invalidated right now. (laughs) Just like shut down immediately. I did not. I did not fantasize about having powers. Next question. <laughs> the way I meant that to come across. I apologize. Um, but there's a couple things that I've come across that I feel like I need to share. Yes, please. One, we already named that um, there is no soundtrack to Teen Witch. Travesty. A motherfucking travesty. Because the reason why is because they didn't think it was going to be a hit, so they didn't put any money towards making a soundtrack release. Um, <gasps> I think they can see that it become a pop culture phenomenon that it has become. Cult classic, man. So there's always YouTube. But there is apparently a live musical recording of Teen Witch that they released in 2007. Excuse me? It's called Teen Witch the Musical. Ek fucking excuse me? And it was released in anticipation of a Broadway-bound musical, which has yet to materialize. Ek fucking excuse me? We may need, we may need to be the people who revive this. Like, who do we need, who do we need to contact? What do you need from us? make this happen Hollywood. I know. For real. Um, P.S. Can I play the drama teacher? I think I'm too old to play any of the students. Despite the fact that it is a stage musical and you can kind of get away with that shit on stage, like older people playing younger roles. But I would rather play what the hell's her name? What's her name? The English teacher. Mrs. But she gets to, uh, you know what I love, though, about this about this movie is that so Louise has this really beautiful mentorship relationship with her teacher, which is also, P.S., a thing in Clueless 
and Mean Girls. Yeah. More connective tissue there. Um, well, Amy Heckerling, she's going to be like, you're blowing up a spot. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, so she has this beautiful relationship with her English teacher. Um, and when she gets her powers and she realizes that she can basically wish anything into existence, she decides to be, uh, pretty selfless about it for a hot second. And she materializes a lava for her English teacher, Armando Legando. And then she rides off into the sunset. She takes a sabbatical and rides off into the sunset with that man in like a convertible. And I was like, yeah, that's, I'll play that role. It's pretty great. I mean, but just thinking about Teen Witch on the stage is like a, you know, sight to behold. Yeah. That'd be a joy. I wonder if it's like, do you want them to play it straight? Or do you want them to be like making fun of it at the same time? Do you want it to be like a self parodying kind of situation? No, I want it to just be what it is. Just be what it is. Yeah, that's that's what I want too. I mean, you're supposed to be able to laugh even if they take themselves seriously. Yeah. Like, really funny. Yeah. I mean, I still feel romantic feelings when I watch this film. Oh, totally. I do. And perhaps it's just nostalgia, but I don't know. Yeah. The uh, the person. So I thought I thought for a really long time up until today, in fact, that uh, so the whole like the reason why there's one of the reasons why there's so much music in this movie is that Louise is really into this pop star named Shauna in the movie. And Shauna becomes like a central character in the movie in that she's she's kind of a part of the popular girl spell like she has to get a piece of her clothing in order to like do the spell um and Shauna is um a fictional pop star like she wasn't real but she sings never gonna be the same again she has a couple of other songs too but the the person who played Shauna is a recording artist by the name of Lori Russo so she has an album, and I wonder... I know that Never Gonna Be the Same Again is on the album, but I wonder if some of the other songs are on the album as well. Ari Russo. And it's R-U-S-O. It is not R-U-S-S-O. Oh. Lori Russo, musical artist. What? Fascinating. I just truly wonder, like, I, I just wonder about this. And I wonder if this person, like, existed... Like, if this music catalog existed before this movie and they like incorporated it into it like she was some indie artist or something or if i don't know because they didn't build a soundtrack for the film right right i just don't that's interesting because like i'm looking at the cover art for her album yes yes (laughs) taylor dane it's not it's like a mix between taylor dane and sort of paula abdulish like it looks yeah, looks yeah. really like that t- of that time um and actually yesterday when i was um down by the arch uh they the uh music by like the food carts was like at this 80s station mm-hmm. they played taylor dane oh. taylor dane tell it to my heart is this 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 has to be the same oh my god this is the same person so she has a website laurierusso.com 
L-O-R-I-R-U-S-O.com. That's why it, it started like auto-playing some kind of like interview with her. So I, I need this. I need this right now. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. So Lori's strong soulful, soulful performance at a church so impressed producers Tom and Larry Weir that they approached her to record for a film project. While working with this team, she was given the opportunity to collaborate with some of the industry's best. These associations have led to her singing and songwriting talents being showcased in feature films, including, and there's a bunch of movies, including Teen Witch, listed here. Holy shit. So I'm still unclear if, like, this music existed before Teen Witch and it was used for Teen Witch or if she wrote it specifically for Teen Witch. Not clear, but Not her clear. music was also featured in Young and the Restless. So there's like a little incestuous thing. I know. And Gautier also went on to find fame on Young and the Restless. And I wonder if he was like, he got the gig and then he was like, so friends with Lori. And he's like, yeah, I got, I'll give you the hookup. You can make some music for this soap opera, mom. I mean, the entertainment world was, it was a smaller, smaller uh, circle at that time. Yeah. I would I would believe it. Oh, Lori Russo, I'm gonna buy all your shit. Or maybe I'll just stream it. And she has a Christmas album. What? <laughs> what have we missed about this film? Apart from how like wildly inappropriate that teacher is in the movie. It's great that it came out in 89 because I think it just like was so quintessentially like late 80s and yes. in, like every way. Yes. And like another way to think about a lot of the art direction in the film is like Lisa Frank, you know? Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like if Lisa Frank made a movie, it would look like too much, you know? <laughs> if Lisa Frank threw up on some celluloid, it would be too and I mean that as a compliment. I love Lisa Frank, man. Yeah, we're saying this as a compliment. For, those re- for some reason, and I feel sorry for you, don't know who Lisa Frank is. Um. I feel sorry for you. Lisa Frank. Um, That's the title of episode. <laughs> for those of you who don't know who Lisa Frank is, I feel sorry for you. Title of episode. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, she's a designer, but Wikipedia says she's an American businesswoman. <laughs> <laughs> and she's known for... She's in the business of neon unicorns. <laughs> Whimsy, that word comes back up again. But are primarily marketed to children. And if you, you did not have a Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper. Or folder. You, or folder. I only had a folder. Going nowhere. You were you're You were going nowhere in life. <laughs> before it began. I mean, did you show up to school at the beginning of the school year with all your new school supplies and not have a Lisa Frank item? The answer is no. The answer is hell fucking no. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what's super cool about this is that her father was actually an art collector. What? 
such pop art. I was just going to say pop art. It has to have been pop art. That's so cool. So, like, that I don't cool. know who Peter Max is, but of course we think about, like, Andy Warhol, right? And, like, that's actually kind of cool that she, like, had, like, an art, artsy-fartsy background. You know, she grew up probably with her parents encouraging her doodles, you know? And then she she had, uh, I guess, a commercial art line, you, sh- you can say. And now I would say that that is probably, you could probably designate Lisa, a Lisa Frank folder or a Lisa Frank design as pop art because it is now kitsch or, yeah. right? Um, in 2011, she launched a colorful line of clothing and I'm going huh? to have all of them. Say what? Um, <laughs> here's a Lisa Frank line of clothing. <laughs> so like this I took an unexpected turn <laughs> it'll look a lot like the wardrobe from Teen Witch I promise you well, I mean that's what I hope yeah that's what I would hope I wonder if Lisa Frank was a consulting producer for Teen Witch <laughs> I mean I would, again, I would not be surprised <laughs> um, she was old enough to do it she was 34 at the time Lisa Frank okay damn this is another situation of like what have we done she was 34 in 1989 and she had already produced so many stickers million dollar enterprise you know like what the fuck are we doing literally stuff oh man does does lisa frank still produce like could you go to lisafrank.com and and get some stickers because i want some stickers I'm overwhelmed. Like, number one, she had launched a line of clothing close to 10 years ago. Number two, she partnered with Reebok three years ago to release two versions of a limited release shoe. Like, <laughs> Frank shoe sneakers out there. <laughs> I mean, don't underestimate, like, millennials and their desire to throw back to the 90s. You know what I mean? You know, right now, because like, oh my, oh my God, these Lisa Frank Reeboks are absurd. All right, I need, I need to see them. Lisa Frank Reebok, holy shit, holy shit, they're awesome. Holy minds, right? Holy mother fucking shit, they are busy and they are amazing. They look like a Lisa Frank like folder, like on your shoe. This is. So we are we are nearly at the end of our episode. Um, I just any any final thoughts on Teen Witch? We got to bring this get this musical popping. We got to get it back because well, obviously, like when live theater is a thing again. I wonder what thwarted this production from coming to life. But we got we got to get it back up and running. And yeah, if if you haven't seen it, if you have seen it. God, these are dark times. Highly recommend, uh, you know, going back in time and, and watching some Teen Witch because it'll it'll fill the void. A good Halloween, yeah, a feel good Halloween film. I would I would say feel good female desire Halloween film. Yeah, the female gaze wrapped in candy corn. Happy National Coming Out Day to all, though this will probably be published after it. But uh, shout out to our queers. We love you. We love you. We are you. We are you. Shout out to us. 
And shout out to you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Any final words? Just Robin Lively, thank you for your magic. Dan Gautier, thank you for your Barbie Ken good look. Yes. Zelda Rubenstein, rest in peace, pour one out. Right? Yeah. And Polly. Polly. She's. I looked into her like a couple years ago, and I believe that she is a relatively renowned yoga instructor, and she's like a yoga, a private yoga instructor to uh, the stars. Yes, that's exactly the words I was going to use. Good uh, for her. Yogi to stars. Like, I imagine her when she wants them to get into a deeper stretch. She's like, "Top that." <laughs> I'm officially dead. I'm officially dead. All right, I think to take us out, we're gonna we're gonna play Never Gonna Be the Same Again. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm never gonna be the same.